Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Welcome back to Basketball History 101. This is Rick Loiza, and with me again in studio is editor and producer Jacob Loiza. Hi, Jacob. Hi, Dad. How are you doing? Doing all right today. So today's episode is going to be about the time that the Globetrotters and the Lakers played a real game against each other. That's right. So why was this game significant? There were a couple of significant reasons. Of course, you know, we're going to get into that in the episode, but... One of the things that made this game so important was that, from a strictly competitive perspective, the Globetrotters were considered by some to be the best team in the world. But the Lakers could also make a claim at the time for being the best team in the world. And since they were not in the same league together, since Globetrotters were a barnstorming team, they were never really going to play each other ever. So the two guys that ran the teams happened to be friends. They said, let's play and let's find out who's really the best in the world. The other thing that happened really, and we'll get into this some more again in the episode, but there really was a racial dynamic that was kind of unintentional, but it was definitely there because the Lakers were an all white team and the Globetrotters were an all black team. And that was significant in the forties. So this really, I guess, made strides in the racial reconciliation. A little bit, because at the time, the NBA did not have any black players yet. It was an all-white league. But shortly after this game, uh, black players started to sign contracts with NBA teams, and black players started to come into the league. So this was kind of the, I guess, push forward that was needed to start the acceptance of ethnical diversity. Correct. So this is more, this game, the significance from a societal perspective, definitely had to do with allowing players of color, particularly black players in this case, to begin to be accepted onto NBA teams. So it was really important from that perspective. Wow. Well, I'm sure this will be an interesting episode to get into. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite stories because, as you know, I'm a huge Laker. You, well, both of us. We're both big Lakers That's fans. Right, we are 17. <laughs> 17. We're both big Lakers fans and we're both Globetrotters fans. Uh, I've taken you and your brother and sister to two different Globetrotter games when they've come into town. So uh, this was just a favorite episode because it featured two of my favorite teams uh, battling it out when they never really get to play each other at all. So that's that was a big one for me. That, that's why I was wanting uh, draw. I was drawn to this story. Cool. Let's get started. All right. Let's do it. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101. I am your host, Rick Loiza. This is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we're going to talk about the time that the Harlem Globetrotters played the Minneapolis Lakers in a real game. This is not a comedy routine of the Globetrotters featuring the Lakers or anything like that. They were playing for real. No bucket of confetti, no ball filled with helium. 
No pulling the opponent's shorts down when they were about to shoot a free throw. Now I've got to be honest, this is one of my favorite stories that we have done so far. As I have mentioned before, I am a Lakers fan. I have been since I was a little kid growing up in Southern California during the Magic Johnson Showtime days. But I am also a fan of the Globetrotters. I loved watching them on TV when they came on once or twice a year. And it was okay to love both teams because they were not even in the same league. There was no conflict in supporting an NBA team and the Globetrotters. Unless, as is the case here, they actually played each other in a real game. So let me take you all the way back to 1948. It's the very end of the barnstorming days of basketball. And I go more in depth on barnstorming all the way back in episode 2 of the podcast if you want to check that out. But I'll give you a brief overview of the barnstorming days. Prior to the establishment of the NBA, various professional leagues existed. But they were rarely financially stable and teams were going out of business all the time while brand new teams were popping up regularly. It was a very unstable place to play in terms of trying to schedule a regular season game. So many teams went into barnstorming, which means that they stayed completely independent and scheduled their own games against other barnstorming teams. And that's how professional basketball was in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. But in the late 1940s, as the NBA was established, it began to attract all of the best players in the country, as well as finding financial stability. The barnstorming teams began to go out of business. But the Globetrotters were still around, and at the time, they were still a regular competitive basketball team that would sometimes perform dribbling tricks and take extra long shots if they had a big lead and they were still extremely dominant. Many consider them to be the best team in the world. They were on a 102 game winning streak at the time that they scheduled this game against the Lakers. As for the Lakers, they were the reigning champions of the BAA, that's the Basketball Association of America, which was a league that was a precursor to the NBA. So the Lakers also had a claim to being the best basketball team in the world. They also had two future Hall of Famers in George Mikan and Jim Pollard. Mikan was the Michael Jordan of his day in terms of popularity, not playing style. They had completely different playing styles. But Mikan was a low post beast, while Jordan was a perimeter player who attacked the rim. But Mikan was the guy that everybody wanted to see. He was the first true superstar of the NBA. Mikan was the guy that sold out arenas. Now, as you can imagine, in any normal situation, these two teams would never play each other. As I've said, one was in a proper league and the other was independent. But the owner of the Globetrotters, Abe Saperstein, and the general manager of the Lakers, Max Winter, happened to be friends and they wanted to put their two teams to the test. They wanted to find out which team really was the best in the world. Call it pride, call it competitiveness, however you want to describe it. These were two men who both were in charge of a team that people called the best in the world. So in the name of business and competition, they arranged the game. Now, there was also an entire other layer to the story that we do need to go into. At the time, the NBA had no black players yet. 
So the Lakers were an all-white team. The Globetrotters were an all-black team. Now, after doing some research on this story, I don't believe that the organizers of the game really meant for this game to be some sort of a contest based on skin color. I think that they truly just wanted to put the two best teams in the world in a game against each other to see who comes out on top. When you are the best, you want to play the best. And that was the Lakers and the Globetrotters. As for the players involved, it was a bit different. As far as I can tell, the Lakers players had no problem playing with or against black players. They were simply confident that they could beat anybody regardless of skin color, so none of that really mattered to them. I don't even think this was an issue for them going into the game. They just wanted to show everybody that they really were the best. However, for the Globetrotter players, this was a chance to take on the best team in the world and show that a black team could beat the mighty Lakers. The Globetrotters had played plenty of white teams before and beaten many of them very badly. But this would probably be their most well-publicized game against the best team from the best league around. If they could beat the Lakers, it would prove that black players belonged in the NBA. So both teams were motivated to win. I mean, they were kind of different motivations, but definitely both were motivated. At the time, there was no actual rule that black players weren't allowed, but at the same time, there were no black players in the NBA. Most owners and general managers just thought that it wasn't worth the risk of alienating their fan base by bringing in a black player. However, that would change just two years later when three black players joined the NBA. Now, that is actually a story for a future episode. And now that we have set up the context for the actual game, this is a great place to take a break. And I'll be right back with the story of the game itself. Welcome back. Now for the game itself. The game was to be played in Chicago at the old Chicago Stadium on February 19th, 1948. This is the same Chicago Stadium where Michael Jordan played for his first 10 years in the NBA before the United Center was built. It was easily the largest arena in the Midwest, where both teams were from. Despite the name Harlem Globetrotters, they were actually from Chicago and were headquartered in Chicago. And they promoted this game like it was a clash of the titans. And in one sense it was. They sold out all 18,000 seats for this game. This was going to be a big payday for both teams, regardless of the outcome. And it was actually a doubleheader. The Globetrotters against the Lakers were the opening game, as it was technically an exhibition game. Whatever the results of the game, it would only determine the unofficial best in the world. But in the minds of the fans and the players, that would be enough. The second game was a regular season NBA game between the Chicago Stags who no longer exist, and the New York Knicks. But the Stags had never once sold this many tickets before, so everyone knew that the fans were really there to see the Globetrotters and the Lakers. The Globetrotters actually had two teams that traveled around under the Globetrotters' name. That's how they maximize their income, is by sending out multiple teams to cover more ground more quickly. In fact, today, the Globetrotters actually send out three teams that perform under the name 
the Harlem Globetrotters. But Abe Saperstein, the owner at the time, pulled together a team made up of the best players from both squads. His starting lineup for that night was Goose Tatum, Marquez Haynes, Irmer Robinson, Wilbert King, and Babe Presley. But the Globetrotters lacked height. Tatum was their center at a height of only 6'3", or 190 centimeters. And he had the task of guarding George Mikan, the star center for the Lakers, who was 6'10", or 208 centimeters. The Lakers jumped to a quick 9-2 lead, taking advantage of their superior height. Mikan would score 18 first-half points while holding Tatum completely scoreless. The Lakers went into halftime with a lead of 32-23 to 23 and were feeling very good about themselves. The Globetrotters had a lot to think about at halftime. They knew that they were no match for the height of the Lakers. The first half had proven that. So they figured that they could outrun the Lakers and make it a game of speed in the second half. The Lakers were not a fast team and the Globetrotters wanted to take advantage of that. Also, NBA teams only play two or three games per week, while the Globetrotters regularly played six or seven games per week. They knew that they were in better shape, and the Lakers would begin to fade if they turned the second half into a track meet. But there was also one other thing that they needed to take care of. They had to slow down Mikan. They decided to double-team Mikan for the entire second half, Tatum and Presley would double-team the Lakers giant even when he didn't have the ball. And that strategy worked. Mikan only scored six points in the entire second half. The Globetrotters caught up and tied the game in the late third quarter. In the fourth quarter, both Tatum and Presley fouled out trying to guard Mikan, but the bench picked up the slack and continued to double-team Mikan the entire way. With just 90 seconds left in the game, the score was tied at 59 each, following some Lakers free throws. Now it was time for Marquez Haynes to take over. Haynes is still considered by many to be the best dribbler of all time. He was like Allen Iverson, Isaiah Thomas, and Pistol Pete Maravich all rolled into one. With 90 seconds left, their strategy was for Haynes to just dribble around for most of that 90 seconds and run down the clock and then pass to an open man for a last second shot. If they made it, they would win. If they missed, they would go into overtime. Remember, there is no shot clock yet. That wouldn't come into the NBA for about eight more years. So Haynes is just dribbling around and running away from all the Lakers players. With just a few seconds left, he finds his teammate Irma Robinson open for a shot. Now Robinson had gone cold in the fourth quarter and had missed his last three shots. When he received the ball, he was standing 30 feet away from the basket. That's Steph Curry distance. That would be deep three-point territory today. But he let it fly and the ball seemed to hang in the air forever before finally dropping through for a 61-59 victory as the clock ran out. The fans stormed the court. There is absolute pandemonium in the building. The Globetrotters hoist their owner, Abe Saperstein, on their shoulders and parade him around the court. They had succeeded. They had beaten the mighty Lakers. The Globetrotters had just proven that they were the best team in the world by beating the defending NBA champion. The Lakers couldn't believe it. 
But the Globetrotters exposed their weakness as a team, and even though they were tall and highly skilled, they were relatively slow. They just could not keep up with the Globetrotters' fast pace. However, both teams did make a lot of money from playing in front of a sold-out crowd. So they played a rematch a year later, and the Globetrotters won again, 49-45. to They would meet for six more games over the next few years, and the Lakers won every one of those last six games. Again, while the game didn't really have any immediate racial impact, it did send a message to NBA owners that a white audience would accept black players. Most of the audience that night was white, and they sold the place out. This game was all the proof they needed. Integrating the NBA was a no-brainer after this game. As I mentioned before, two years later, the NBA would have its first three black players, and of course many more after that, including several of the Globetrotters. Because at the end of the day, most team owners and coaches are competitive above all else. Anyone who can help their team win more games is welcome to be part of the team. So what was next for these two teams? This particular Lakers team would go on to win five NBA championships over a period of six years. And then all their key players began to retire. And George Mikan is still considered the greatest player of his era. The Globetrotters went a different direction. Now that black players could start playing in the NBA, the Globetrotters had a harder time recruiting the best black players to join them. Also, many of the other barnstorming teams like them were going out of business, so there was nobody for them to play. The NBA was starting to stabilize and attracting the best players of all colors. People weren't as interested in barnstorming teams as the NBA became more popular. That means that the Globetrotters had fewer and fewer teams to play against. And that was bad for business. Because in professional sports, what you are selling is the competition. The games are the product that they're selling. So Abe Saperstein had to rethink his business model. At first, he began to schedule exhibition games against college teams just so they could sell tickets and keep making money. After all, college teams don't go out of business like professional teams do. Then he got the idea to take the team on an international tour where they would transition into the basketball-themed comedy group that they are now. They took on teams around the world that they knew they could beat, but that gave them the opportunity to begin showing off their incredible skills. And the crowds loved it. So they did even more of it, coming up with new routines that they could pull off once they got a big lead. Eventually, in 1952, Abe Saperstein would convince an old friend named Red Klotz to form a team that would travel along with the Globetrotters and basically become their permanent opponent on all of their tours. That team was the Washington Generals, and their story, the Generals that is, is definitely a story for a future episode. But getting back to this famous game between the Globetrotters and the Lakers got me thinking. The Lakers just won the 2020 NBA championship and are considered the best professional team in the world right now since they are the best team from the strongest league. But could you imagine a team made up of players from outside the NBA having a chance at beating them? I'm not saying it would be impossible, 
NBA teams have lost a couple of exhibition games to professional teams from other countries, but never the champions. But that's what happened back then on that day in 1948. And the NBA is better off for it. The NBA currently has over 150 players from outside the United States representing around 40 different nations. To get into the NBA today, you just have to be good enough. Nothing else really matters. The integration of the NBA has its roots in this game played in Chicago on that winter day. It opened people's minds that basketball skills could come from anywhere. And this is why this game is still so important and why it needs to be remembered. The impact of that game in 1948 is still felt today. Well, that's it for today's story. Join us next time as we profile Cheryl Miller, arguably the best female basketball player of all time. She opened up people's minds to what a female basketball player could do and how they could dominate. That's next time on Basketball History 101. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.